Welcome to the Ross Republic podcast. I'm Adrian, partner for Digital Banking. And in this episode, we will be exploring the latest trends and developments around fintech investing. For that, I'm joined um, by Olga Shikansova. She currently works as principal at VC investment firm Speed Invest, where she focuses on seed fintech investments. And before joining Speed Invest, Olga ran fintech investments at Target Global out of Berlin. Uh, investing in early and growth stages in Europe and Israel. She gained a track record for, of 15 new investments over three and a half years, including companies like Rapid, Sego, Kuda, Copper. By the way, Rapid is a very interesting company. I recently read that um, they onboard 500 new customers for the payments gateway per week. So it's a very, very interesting pick. And um, yeah, Olga, so great to have you on the podcast today. Based on your LinkedIn profile, you've covered fintech investments very early on in your career. Was this by coincidence or a deliberate decision? Um, hi, very, uh, very happy to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, it was initially, it was in, in, indeed a, co a coincidence, um, uh, coincidence with the first fund I worked for, it was Finsight Ventures. That's how I started with FinTech back to that time. It was like, I would say trend on alternative lending and specifically everything like peer-to-peer -peer lending related. Um, and after that, I would say that uh, with Target Global, it was already a deliberate choice, which uh, I'm, I still keep following um, and very happy with this one. Awesome. Um, in preparation, I actually saw, uh, according to Statista at least, there are over 2,000 VC firms now operating in Europe. Um, obviously, Speedinvest is a household name already, but still, could you describe like the value proposition of Speedinvest um, as well as yourself individually? Um, as, a, as an investor to potential startups? Um, yeah, sure. I think that uh, we are different and uh, in, in three main aspects in a way. First of all, it's vertical focus of the teams uh, on specific verticals and segments of the, of the market. So kind of by, as a firm, we cover pretty much everything. Uh, so as a firm, it looks like we are a seed fund generalist. But at the same time, yeah. within the firm, we have verticalized focus teams. And in example, I and the rest of the fintech team, um, we do nothing but fintech, which helps to, to keep this focus and also which helps to kind of really develop the expertise within the firm, which is very helpful to the segment which we invest. And also the kind of then this cross vertical uh, experience also, also makes a lot of sense and uh, these intersections help to the, to the founders as well. Uh, second, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, it can sound very, very simple, but we have DNA over early stage investor. And in the most of cases, we are the first money into the company. And uh, we work with the founders towards the path of like ups and downs and crazy roller coasters. We are ready to this. Uh, we don't kind of, we don't leave at the point of like, something goes down uh, downstairs or south no mm -hmm. it's just we do understand that in the early stage everything can change and the product yeah. can become very different in a year and yeah. uh, everything is changing and we we are here with the founders to help to 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 navigate and be always uh, here to help uh, through the, this roller coaster and the third point i would say it's um we are operational VC. We have Platform Plus as part of Speed Invest team. It is operational support unit, uh, which helps our portfolio companies with the things like uh, growth hacking strategies, HR strategies, and hiring yep. communication strategies, and all of it. Like these pieces are very important for the startups. Like basically from the inception to um, basically like along the way. So I would say that these three key uh, items. 
um, really differentiate us from uh, from the others. And uh, last but not least, uh, we are truly pan-European investor, being very true to this focus and uh, st stick to this one, which again uh, helps us to, to be very much focused on, on what we do as a team. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Is um, Speed Invest Pirate still a thing? I, I just read it uh, on my in my uh, preparation. I found it very interesting that you have this like spin-off as, as like a growth marketing agency for early stage fintech or, or startups. It used to call Pirate. It used to to be called Pirates. Okay. Uh, now it's called Platform Plus. A bit more mature and evolved with the with the propositions which more fit and kind of yeah. already tested by many kind of um, by quite a few years and and companies. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And, and you already mentioned um, early stage uh, investing basically means that, um, well, companies' directions, even whole business models can change quickly. So um, just to jump in right into the topic, um, because I've recently also worked with some early stage fintechs that are really changing into completely different directions very quickly. Um, so so would you then say still that it's, it's still true that in early stage investing, the team and timing maybe is still the most important factor to consider? 100%, 100%. I mean, it's kind of all time dilemma and point of discussion, which is more important product market or the team. My personal perception is the team 100% because the right team can can change the market in the end, move to another one. And then product is basically the function of, great team who yeah. has all this expertise mm -hmm. awesome has there been a recent fintech related news if you would just pick one that has been standing out um certainly wise wise ipo okay uh, i think it's first of all it's not only huge by size um it's just a massive sign of european fintech scene getting more mature um I mean, exit itself, right? Uh, also, these kind of uh, more people from the companies, like I mean, from Wise specifically, but I'm sure many more to come, like um, Klarna, Revolut, and the others, uh, become investors, become founders, and uh, that just uh, really creates uh, the scene and makes it even more interesting at this point of time. And uh, that's why I. I personally feel that it's like really inflection point for for fintech in Europe overall, and Wise IPO is just a huge a huge sign that uh, yeah, yeah get in there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, couldn't agree more. I found it interesting. In the UK, um, Lloyd's Commercial Banking is rolling out a new payment service uh, which enables consumers to make payments on an organization's website directly from the bank account um, without having to enter any payment details. So obviously, using open banking feeds. Um, it's very creatively called pay from bank <laughs> and it co combines um, um, basically MasterCard's uh, payment gateway capabilities um, with its open banking connect platform uh, mm -hmm. covering almost every UK bank um, and it's a direct merchant account to account payment. Um, so I think that's also a very interesting field to look at um, because the duopoly of Visa and MasterCard, um, how they now basically position themselves to play a role in the future payments value chain. 
obviously cards are still super important, but I think looking really long-term, account-to-account, real-time are really big trends. And they have made a lot of M&A activities and acquisitions. Um, so so that's uh, yeah, that will be very interesting to see um, how it develops uh, as well from account-to-account payments. And also in the UK, sweeping is now mandatory. So yeah. um, this will now drive probably even more autopilot financing uh, use cases where you can basically authorize third or, or give authorized third parties the possibility to um, manage your money and move them around your own bank accounts um, in real time. That is, I think, also mm-hmm. a very interesting uh, regulatory development. Yeah, I agree. I actually like that our kind of outlook is uh, looking at the, at the same field. We're looking a bit from different perspectives. So you look from like mm-hmm. maybe macro slash regulatory landscape and looking more from, let's say, specifically tech component of it, which obviously mm-hmm. also also many tech, uh, tech developments were driven by regulatory changes and regulations and that's something what enables fintech uh, yeah. to, to be kind of at the point where we are and even more like in the future yeah absolutely yeah for example when i i i worked at holvi um and holvi wouldn't wouldn't exist if there wouldn't be the first payment uh, services directive um which allowed payment service providers to arise right so so that's i mean yeah uh, and of course i would i could i could only um, recommend anyone that wants to build something new in, ter- in this payment space to look at the UK because I feel like they're always obviously a little bit ahead. We have PSD2 in Europe as well, but it's uh, it's a super interesting space. Um, but if we now go into the topic, um, FinTech Investing 101, um, like from a really big macro perspective, um, I mean, the banking industry is one of the worst performing sectors globally. Um, I think they're right there with energies and utility. Um, you know, um, recent data has shown that the economic profit of banks um, declined by 800 billion between 2015 and 18. COVID made it worse because of non-performing loans. And you, it's, it, it's still unclear how big this wave of non-performing loans will be in the commercial space as well. So so it's not easy for, for this industry in general. So what makes banking for you attractive? Um, I would say, I mean, first of all, kind of uh, fintech uh, overall is a bit more than banking, but at the same time, the point which you highlighted, in a way, uh, gave birth to fintech as we as we as we have and as as we evidence right now, uh, witness right now. So, meaning that uh, back in the days when basically fintech just started developing, all of it more or less started with like, okay, let's make it faster and cheaper than the bank. Because banks had all the branches, banks had all the legacy and compliance and and just like traditionally there were so many people doing so many operational things and processes or manually, all of it, right? Basically, fintech started uh, picking up like these uh, functions of bank and doing like, okay, let's make uh payments seamless uh from me to you instant um paypal like and and all of it right so and then revolut which changed uh revolut and 26 uh monies like all the cohort of um consumer neobanks which made it like okay so why you need to go to the branch at all and basically like the fintech which we see right now it's already the function of like completely non-performing uh a function of like traditional banks in a way and also massive customer customer dissatisfaction um so overall what we see right now with the statistics uh, you 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 just highlighted that just makes fintechs even more interesting and that already i feel like i mean banks all realize it and they all also change to the to the better side of things and they kind of also introduce a lot of 
um, digital services and try to catch up with the with the fintechs. So overall, I think that it's kind of really the great sign that we are in the right space in fintech because if it's if something is not good, <laughs> then there is a huge room for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and especially banks have really slept on the whole transformation and digital economy. So I think I feel like that's a um, great disruption opportunity overall, of course. Um, um, and I mean, banking banking overall global revenues are declining at the same time. 2021 is a record year for European fintech investment uh, industry. Um, I'm just going to drop a few facts that are really, really um, interesting. So VC investment globally is up 2.3x year, year on year, um, more than over like $264 billion invested globally in 21 already, which is another record. Um, interestingly, Europe is the fastest growing region for VC investment. Um, we have seen, as you mentioned, with WISE as well, like an explosion of billion-dollar companies, uh, Revolut, Klarna, and so on, um, got really high valuations. Um, out of 170 cities around the world, home to at least one unicorn, 65 are already in Europe. So it feels like there is really pace uh, come accelerating Europe. Um, we see investment is high. Um, UK still very important VC market, um, almost accounting for half of the rounds this year. Um, I think, uh, well, in my, in my notes, I wrote Trade Republic, Trade Republic took, the, took the largest deal, but I think that's now, um, that's now Revolut, I guess. Um, but still, Molly, Klarna, all of these have, have um, um, actually raised quite a lot of money. So that makes it very interesting as well for, um, for uh, um, American VCs and Ch Chinese VCs, obviously, that are coming um, with quite a high um, funds, right? They have quite a lot of money to invest. Um, traditional in Europe, the fund sizes haven't been that high compared to international peers. So looking at these numbers, um, how do European VCs keep up? All these numbers, um, I think if we drop it down by kind of types of the rounds, they were much mm. later stages, right? So kind of yeah. A plus, if not B plus. Uh, I mean, yeah. also kind of this school of bigger rounds is, is natural, right? Mm. Um, so European VCs keep up uh, being on the ground earlier um, and catching the, the founders and the teams earlier than, uh, than US uh, and Asian VCs uh, see mm -hmm. them. All right. And, uh, but even seed rounds get at least the way I feel like at least what I'm seeing in the market is they're getting bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so in general, do, do you agree like that the trend is to that rounds are generally higher? So basically yeah. funds need to need to increase their size maybe as well. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's, 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 it's hard to disagree here because it's just, it's just uh, the numbers again will show us that uh, seed rounds became much bigger. Um, at the same time, um, I do believe that uh, for for every company who starts in Europe as a, and then considers Europe as the first market, European invested early stage uh, makes much more sense in a way because of the presence there and also because of like let's say attention uh, to the to the portfolio company because uh, you, we shouldn't underestimate this kind of uh, how much of attention and effort investor would invest into the company apart from the money um, if it's like really important bet for the fund relative to the size of the fund versus okay. like hedge fund size uh, mm. investing in into CD right so mm -hmm. that's something what what helps to 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 stay strong to European teams mm -hmm. overall 
All right. And in general, would you, how do you see the competition? Is it growing or how do you like as a, even an early stage, um, obviously a lot of VCs are already obviously actively reaching out to, to, to early stage founders and companies and are looking to improve deal flow and so on. Do you see that the competition is, is, is getting more intense already at seed round? It is. Mm -hmm. It is. All right. So, but I guess for speed invest, everyone would like to get an investment from from that brand name alone. So it's probably not that of an issue. But I, I can assume that even smaller funds or like the ones that don't have that many resources or USPs are probably um, forced to find an edge at some point. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that's also in a way. Uh, yeah, I mean, mature. The industry is becoming more mature, and that's just one of the that's a side effects in a way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, exciting times uh, will be ahead of us. We will see. Also, like um, based on the or Speed Invest website, where you mentioned that it's time of a new generation of fintech businesses. Um, do you have like a set of hypotheses or views on fintech and um, where the market is going? So that kind of shapes your your investments. Um, anything you can share about it? Yeah, uh, by time of. Kind of new generation of fintech businesses. Mm -hmm. um, I, I referred to it briefly um, in context of wise, right? Um, first of all, it is the time and really inflection point in a way that the industry, fintech industry in Europe specifically overall is becoming more mature. Yeah. Uh, we see it with the funding rounds, amounts, um, and just funding flowing into this, uh, this segment, right? Yeah. We see it with the exits. And uh, there are more exits overall. Um, massive companies like Visa, Mastercard, are buying companies in Europe, and uh, and then IPOs. That's that's massive, and that's maturity of the industry. Second, uh, people from from companies like Wise and Klarna and Revolut are launching new new gigs, right? And they know how it works from the inside, um, and they can see many more points which can be improved and problem problems which are in there in the market. And third, uh, infrastructure uh, became much more mature as well. And we are not yet in the point of like AWS, uh, when kind of someone is launching a software, it's all there and kind of nothing, you just kind of really code this, the, the, the layer which you want to code, right? Not yet there, but still the maturity of the, of the infrastructure already reached the level that you can, uh, you can uh, launch fintech products much faster than it was three years ago. And it goes both to companies who just start building something and it goes to the kind of non-fintech companies embedding something. Uh, again, it's not in the perfect state, uh, an AWS state yet, but it's getting there and it's already on a very different level to what it was before. And all these factors together, in my view, shape the, basically make, show us that the time is now and uh, make me personally even more excited about what is going on, what, what, what's going to be uh, in the future with fintech. As a team, we in general try to try to look at, this, at, at things from, let's say, in a way, macro perspective, right? So every uh, every market uh, macro macro trend will uh, will generate kind of fintech uh, sub trends in a way. Fintech will follow. 
it's not necessarily in banking. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's in payments. It's in uh, it's in again kind of solutions for specific target customers groups. It's it's yeah. about digital assets. It's about mm -hmm. many streams, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all of it kind of will be catching up, and uh, that's the time to scout more of those. Absolutely. Um, are you looking at specific sectors then? You already mentioned uh, infrastructure, um, payments, uh, you, you know, rapid, you know exactly that infrastructure or payment gateway companies can be really, very interesting growth companies. Um, do you look at specific segments at the moment or are you basically agnostic and just look at everything from crypto to business banking to, you know, yeah, as, as kind of uh, within fintech, we are really agnostic and we try to catch, like really look at everything, right? Obviously, there are areas of interest of kind of increased interest, uh, which uh, which are generated by kind of either massive flaws uh, and gaps in the market, like B2B payments, or these uh, emerging trends, which we just cannot ignore anymore, which which more on the side of digital assets and this bridging of crypto and traditional fiat world, right? So uh, yeah, the kind of the range of industries is really from from uh, from payments to from mm -hmm. yeah from all sub segments of fintech. Mm -hmm. All right, and I think what you also mentioned with uh, infrastructure companies uh, enabling um, non-fintech or non-banking companies to integrate uh, banking features or services directly into their propositions, but also enable other other fintechs. I think that's that's part of this general um, big market shift that's happening in banking anyways now, because we already mentioned at the beginning, banking, like incumbent business models are quite, even the universal banks, um, even specialized banks, private banks across the board have quite challenging business models. Um, you know, interest, interest rates are, are down, um, fee income is down, um, non-performing loans are an issue, especially in, in Italy, for example, in Europe. Um, so, so there, there has been this first wave, obviously, of fintech companies that have been digitalizing banking, pure, but that didn't really change the products. I think, um, like uh, early early neo banks, like um, number twenty six and so on, they they basically gave people access to banking over an app and made it ten x or hundred x even better uh, from a customer perspective than the common banks. Um, and now it's suddenly splitting up into way more fragmented uh, um, players and business models um, from infrastructure companies to um, like from Solaris Bank, Rails Bank, Rapid and so on that are more enablers and others are grabbing the customer's attention. Um, and when talking to fintech founders, whether that's B2C or B2B, I feel like it's still extremely difficult to get profitable if you have to start still this direct to consumer model. I feel like that's that's still a challenge definitely to um, to do that. So I feel like the, the infrastructure companies are in a very good position versus um, direct plays are still um, having a challenging time. Do you know why that is or uh, how do you look at the, at the market players? How, what do you think how it will play out? I mean that's uh, that, that's kind of that's a discussion which can last for hours and <laughs> there are obviously points kind of toward it, towards uh, kind of pretty much everything is here right so overall I mean is it challenging to to turn B2C proposition and fintech profitable yes it is um, but at the same time let's be honest like if there would be no wave of uh, transferwise revolute and kind of like pure B2C propositions in the market. There would be like overall perception of how we how we behave, how we pay, what we see in the market would 
be different. And it, this wave of B2C players already changed the customer, consumer's behavior in a way. And also in a way, partially that impacts the fact that, okay, but let's, let's, let's have same functionality in, um, in Uber app, in Volt app, in whatever, which it, in, in, in its turn generated the infrastructure players and enablers, right? And overall, kind of from this perspective, we can see, we can look at FinTech as the big driver of user experience overall, right? Because let's be honest, in the end, we pay for everything everywhere and that's how fintech starts kind of as embedded piece in many things and uh it's 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 a driver of how we consume how we kind of of our habits and behavior and basically overall kind of yes the first wave was b2c i mean if it can turn profitable i mean ultimately i do believe it can right because ultimately it's about um about product iteration and number of products which you, you, you can provide to consumer and about consumers customers love right so if i love the product i will eventually bring uh to to my app not only just like i will not be using it only for payment function i will bring my crypto there too because why not right so it's also, it's not linear, so there are many kind of ways of future development, but at the same time, all these things are really interconnected. And uh, B2C fintech is challenging. It is challenging to fight for consumer attention and consumer love. Uh, because again, there is so many, the optionality is insanely high. And I, as a consumer, I can, I can go, um, I mean, Berlin and Germany is a bit different from like UK, right? And in the UK, you can go downstairs to the tube and see all the variety of consumer fintech in there. <laughs> and attention of a consumer is also a bit of a limited thing. So that's why it's difficult. That's why customer acquisition cost is pretty, pretty high challenge. But at the same time, if you manage to iterate and, and keep the customer love, then, mm. then it's a win. Absolutely. I think for, for um, case studies like Trade Republic, I think are perfect examples. So they, they already have like over 6 billion in assets under management, which is, which is just crazy from a, from a you know, growth perspective. Um, and obviously, it's a lot of probably timing, Corona perspective, and in general, obviously, all, 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 every, any company, also incumbents like ING that offer trading accounts have, have experienced this boom in customer and, and money inflows. But um, but uh, yeah, for sure, I think that that would be a perfect example of someone that that is um, that is a B two C product or D two C product and uh, has been growing really fast, um, make, making money directly from from a very um, tailored business model as well. At the same time, um, I feel like at some point you need to make a, a, a decision if you want to move down the stack or up the stack. That's that's what I've been continuously seeing in this market, um, like the the. Um, yeah, as mentioned, like the first wave have been bringing to the market digital banking services and, you know, really raised the bar for everyone in the market. But at the same time, banking, if you really think about it, and, and the more I work in this industry, I, I, I see it um, that like a bank account, a payment functionality, a loan inherently doesn't bring any value to the to the user. It's, it's, it's always an enabler for something bigger. You want to move money. Um, you want to buy, you know, get a loan to buy new machinery for your company or to buy something, uh, buy a new new flat or, or TV, whatever. So it's um, it's always an enabler. Um, so the question is, can these enablers live on their own? 
And I feel like the incumbent banks, they experience that this business on its own is, is, is falling apart. So, um, uh, because obviously like the, the revenues that you get just from being the enabler, it's, it's a red ocean. Like it's a, it's a highly competitive market, whether it's in loans, payments, margins are always going down now. Um, so, so um, like companies, except for example, for, of that um, moving down the stack would be infrastructure plays like um, Rapid, like Solaris Bank, Rails Bank, others um, like Revolut, they're moving up the stack, meaning like up the stack, meaning beyond banking. So really using these enablers in smart ways to help people get something done. And Revolut has, for example, added uh, uh, this um, travel functionality and crypto and stock trading and a lot of really interesting innovations how people use money and send money um how, how to pay and get paid across people and businesses so i think that's really um the future and and what's radically different from incumbent banking who've just been seeking rents because there hasn't been a lot of consumer choice um mm -hmm. whereas now fintechs pick their business model apart and really innovate around customer needs and workflows and i think that's a really interesting um development and you see it across the board from players like uh, Trade Republic, but also in business banking, like Phenom and so on, who are directly integrating accounting features and banking. So it's not really a fintech, a pure play anymore, but really um, an evolved business model. And I think that's um, that's definitely where it's going. Yeah, I agree. And also, again, like uh, get, getting back, it's, it goes also to a bit of a, like uh, cu customers, consumers or kind of SMEs, they also require a certain type of service because, I mean, if they could use to one servers in kind of one area of life, why not having it in, in finance and uh, aggregating everything in one place? And yes, for some companies, is, uh, it's like moving up the stack, for some it's moving down the stack. It's, uh, it's, it's exactly kind of what we see, but also like from infrastructure point of view, kind of moving this movement of moving down the stack, right? the reason of many businesses which which emerged there was effectively that there was there is nothing there yet and if you want to build something you have to build it build it up yourself from scratch and that's how that, that that's how rapid started right so there was just no providers who would enable pay-ins and payouts kind of globally you would go one country after another and one payment after another and that's what that's what made them building this uh, this layer, um, which hasn't existed before. Then we go kind of to to other industries, right? So an example, there are examples of fintechs and banks who, who built up everything from scratch. I mean, Klarna is one of those, which is which is really an incredible example because again, when they emerged, nothing was there, right? Um, there was no banking as a service, nothing, no other providers just to pick from the shelves, right? And and then you kind of go to that's that's again it's about more about like banking rails and payments rails. Then you go further down further further in this uh, kind of products, right? You go into trading. So Bitpanda started with. Um, started with crypto trading, right? Then introducing stocks trading, they actually built up whole trading stack themselves. And now they can actually just outsource this stack openly to other fintechs who want to have trading functionality, which is exciting by itself. Again, it wouldn't be possible uh, if kind of certain tech developments wouldn't be there, right? Because an example, if you look at wave of fintechs, which, ha which emerged like six years ago, ago they, didn't start their business in the cloud yet, right? So all of these things matter, 
but mm -hmm. the whole evolution which we witness right now it's it's extremely exciting Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, also talking about a few of the fintech um, companies that are in your sphere, um, you mentioned that Sifted, a few payment startups to watch, like also Tillit. Um, Tillit I found very interesting doing B2, uh, um, B2B by now, pay later checkouts. Um, and anything that excites you, especially about B2B fintech and software as a service? Um, overall, I mean, SMEs and kind of B2B part was left a bit aside, kind of consumers got their uh, attention and consumers uh, kind of and now business owners got some habits that everything should be digital, but kind of percentage of payments in B2B going digitally and kind of in a digital uh, experience is extremely low. I mean, it's, it's uh, like single digit percent and uh, it shouldn't be like that, right? And it's a natural flow that uh, the innovation will, will will come there, right? We see it uh, at Speedinvest, we see it through the portfolio company, Billy, which does have this functionality of buy now, pay later too, and that's that's extremely exciting. And the market is moving exactly there because the whole, the whole kind of habit to buy now, pay later is there and it's well developed. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's the, the reasoning behind B2B payments. <laughs> All right. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you also invested in Airbank. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, that's exactly like a perfect example of what, what I was just uh, mentioning about moving up the stack. Exactly. So like Holvi was for, and, and Holvi and um, even like, yeah, to your point, Holvi was building all this, the whole stack in-house. Like there was yeah. no Solaris Bank back then in 2010. Now, um, I don't know, Penta was founded in 2017 or so, to 2018. Um, they built on Solaris Bank, could launch way faster. But still, it's it's about business banking, payments, cards, yeah. accounts. Um, and the next wave is now really looking at how can we really use banking products as an enabler to and build smart services on top of it, yeah. which is for me a perfect example is AirBank, which is then building um, smart analytics, um, plugging in additional data, which is not only about banking directly into your uh, SMB banking interface. So I think that's, that's a perfect mm -hmm. example of this uh, recent development, also very interesting. Um, but if I would just pick, like for if we end up the, the session then, but uh, um, one very interesting and recent investment is Finnery, um, an online community for investors. Um, can you share maybe a few thoughts on what, why that wasn't uh, attractive as an investment for you? Um, and um, yeah, basically how you, how you evaluated this investment and give maybe a little bit insight in what you can share and how you, how you um, yeah, structure your thoughts around these type yeah. of uh, investments. So um, Finari is, uh, is not really a community. It's, uh, it's, it's mm -hmm. a platform for wealth managers. Uh, for, it's a mm -hmm. wealth management platform, which enables okay. you as a user to bring all assets which you have in one place. Because an example, if I have my crypto in Bitpanda, my stocks um, in Trade Republic uh, and also some angel investments and also a bit of real estate, the way to manage it and also kind of some savings on the bank accounts, the way to, the way to manage it is essentially Excel, right? Excel spreadsheet uh, for individual investor. Or another alternative is to go to a private banker and use like private uh, asset, asset management management kind of services right which is one more expensive second that's just by mindset of modern investors it's not something what we would expect right we every one of us knows that we want to invest in something and we want to be pretty active at this point but we want i personally wouldn't like to have uh kind of uh, experience from the 90s of uh, bankers in the suits advising something right 
nothing bad about it. It's just a different generation and kind of the, again, the industry is moving and it's not standing at, at the same place. And uh, Finari is essentially the platform which allows to bring everything in one place to track all your investments and everything starts from tracking. Then you can get advice and tips how to manage and optimize it with your with regards to the taxes, with regards to the fees and many other things which can be added actually on top of it. Uh, all of it happening because again, like many investors, private investors got a lot of tools to invest in like in, again in crypto and stocks in real estate digitally. But still there is no layer which could enable me to have like the overview of of the whole stack like what is there with the assets okay so so this is not a white label tool this is for for the investors to use to buy themselves right yes it's for investors to 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 use by by themselves and that you can also look at this from perspective that you combine uh kind of institutional investment tools and institutional investment power with the ease of kind of retail trading apps and retail finance apps, which we as retail people got used to. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think some of the like incumbents like Credit Suisse and UBS, they have some digital portals. Um, some of them try to aggregate um, diverse asset classes, but it's of course, um, if, if I compare it like just with the landing page of Finnery, it's a completely different game. So um, um, yeah, very interesting as well. And, and I feel like, this whole um, active investing or that you at least do a little bit of self-directed investing is a huge trend. So uh, there will always probably be some, some um, you know, um, high net worth individuals or whatever that have then the need for consolidated view of assets and then interesting or, or possibilities to invest in new type of asset classes, whether it's 100%. crypto or stocks. Or th that's a very interesting segment. Do you know which kind of segment they are targeting? It looks like not, um, I mean, in, from an investment perspective, there are services for roundups where you just invest cent, like uh, cents in certain stocks and others have more money like liquid where you can only invest from 100,000 um, on and so on. So um, uh, do, do you know the segment they're targeting? I mean, you you can obviously like there is no limit in a way that you, wa you won't come to us if you don't have 100K, right? Which is the case for private banking in a way, right? So they target uh, not the segment of uh, roundups to cents, but it targets basically mass affluent uh, active investors. How to define mass affluent investor, there are, there are many kind of uh, grades to it, but at the same time, kind of you can see there a cord of people who are entrepreneurs investing, um, people from from tech companies investing into stocks and having ESOP and having many other assets which they want to manage and which they want to have visibility on. So it's mass affluent. It's very different to the level of personal finance managers, uh, but the cohort of people, how many they are and how much money is there and how little is the service at this kind of cohort of yeah. people. Yeah. Um, that's basically what they target. Okay, interesting. Uh, also very, very exciting to see how quick this um, um, unbundling and rebundling game is happening in fintech. Um, because obviously you have crypto specialists, stock trading specialists, specialized uh, opportunities to invest in, in property and so on, and um, crowdfunding, whatever. So it's uh, that's a super interesting uh, development that now you already have one aggregator that brings this now into one interface. and. Yeah, I think that's the typical model. It's still our approach that's happening in fintech. Um, last question. I find it interesting now you're investing in early stage fintechs, but if you take this long view and like 30 to 50 years, 
how will people bank? <laughs> I I personally try to keep like really uh, mental flexibility and don't <laughs> and not to plan for like 30, 50 years. Yeah. Um, because I mean everything can change. I mean in the end I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say that. Uh, the banks will die. I wouldn't make any kind of loud, uh, loud forecasts that, uh, yeah, kind of uh, one business model will kill the others, right? But I mean, it will change and it will evolve. And uh, but at the same time, kind of banks will and they do have and they will have the power of just money and cash and balance sheet, which they have and power of licensing and that's something what kind of it's hard to like you cannot underestimate it uh but will it evolve to be kind of more accessible more digital and to kind of really redistribute the the, the powers in a way it will and we also do not touch at all the, the part of like region uh, kind of s centralized finance which we are we still live in with DeFi world which again is very much emerging but this is a whole evolution or revolution, we will see. Mm -hmm. But that's just a very interesting development of the market, which we are here to, to, to witness. And let's see. All right. All right, cool. Yeah, we will speak then in 30 years again and see what happens. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. All right, cool. Debate. <laughs> Great. Thanks for taking your time, Olga. And it will be interesting to see what kind of investments uh, you will lead next. Thank you. Thank you.